Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. What a great opportunity to worship this morning. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, there was a time this week I wasn't sure if I would see you this morning or not. Uh, I've been sick all week long, and so uh, so it's good to be here with you this morning. And if you have your Bible, we are continuing in our teaching series on the book of Revelation. So open to Revelation chapter 4 and celebrate God's Word with me. <clears throat> I, um, I've been so excited to share this with you this week, so I'm thankful that God's let me be a little bit better to be here today, and uh, you'll have to excuse me if after the service I'm not around too much. I'm going to try to avoid you as much as possible today, uh, so I'm going to hang out back there. If anybody needs a hug that could make you sick, come see me in that back room. Uh, but hey, as we get started this morning, I'm going to ask somebody to come and join me on stage, and they don't know that I'm going to do this today. It's going to be a surprise for them, and so uh, we're going to have a little bit of uh, an interactive part of our service here, but Cole, I'm going to ask you to come up here, man, just for a second, so yeah, <clears throat> that surprise look on your face is exactly what I was hoping for this morning. Hey man, I'm going to show you something and here's what I want you to do. Hey, do we have that? Can you use Kyle's microphone right there? Just, you can stand right there. Can, is it on? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you this picture and you're going to describe this as best you can to everybody that's out here. All right. So I want you just to kind of take a look at this and then briefly, you're just going to tell us what you see. Now, here's what I want you guys to do. As he's describing this image, if you want to close your eyes, if that helps you, I don't know how you feel about these things, but he's going to describe something. I want you to see if you can picture what he's describing that he sees here this morning, okay? So Cole, give this your best shot, man, and tell, tell people what you see here, and let's see if we can help give them an image in their minds this morning. Okay, um, so I see deep, beautiful, bright colors, um, basically light and darkness, can't say, I can't even. Yeah. You can say whatever you want to, man. Uh, There's no rules here. Well, there are rules. Like, don't use cuss words. That'd be a good oh, yeah. rule. <clears throat> um, church, so. Deep space. Um, space cloud, I don't know. Space cloud? Space cloud, That's good. Yeah. Deep, deep space, space cloud, yeah, um, colors. You want to give them any description of those colors, or you want them to oh, imagine okay. that on their own? Uh, yeah, so... You're doing great, man. Go like, for it. Uh, purples, blues, um, dark reds, like maroon. Um, yeah, that's about it. White. All right. All right. You guys got it? Yeah. <laughs> got a good picture there? Thanks, Cole. You can be. Hey, you guys give him a hand. It's, uh, it's hard being picked on in church to come up and do something you didn't know you were going to be doing. So, hey, all right. Do you see it? You see it in your mind? You have a good idea of what he was explaining? Nobody has a clue, do they? Do you want to see it? Let's see what this picture was that Cole was trying to describe to you. Is that about what you thought? Pretty close. You got some good, good responses over here, man. Yeah. Some deep space, some colors, some purples, some reds, some pinks, light, dark, stars that are there. And maybe you were kind of picturing some of that, and, and maybe that's close. Maybe you weren't even anywhere close. I don't know. But even in seeing this, do you still get a, do you have an idea of the beauty and majesty of what this is in space? Would it help if you saw it even better? Like, what if I could take you there and show it to you? You want to see it? Yeah. 
Check this out.
I recorded the vocal track for that before I got sick this week. It's beautiful, isn't it? Astounding. 1,300 light years from Earth, the M24 Orion Nebula is sitting in space in this amazing beauty. And as you go through it, you start to recognize it's 2,400 light years across. It sits in the heart of the belt of Orion in the constellation. You can see it in the night sky on a clear night. You can see and find Orion's constellation and find the Orion Nebula in the sky. And that last part, the black cloud ring that had stuff coming into the middle of it, do you know what that nebula does? It's a star-producing factory. It's sitting in the heart of our galaxy, in our universe, and it's pulling in energy into this cloud-like formation, and it's pulling together gases and energy, and it's birthing out stars and shooting them into our solar system. And when you hear something like that described to you, you kind of go, okay, I got a sense of it. There's colors, and there's light, and there's dark, and it's out in space. It's deep space. And then you see it, and you go, wow, that's amazing. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around it. But until you go there, you don't have any idea of what it really is. You go, why are you telling us all of that this morning when we study the book of Revelation? Because that's exactly what we're going to see happen as we get into Revelation chapter 4 this morning when John tries to describe to us the glories and the reality of heaven. John is going to get an invitation into the throne room of God, and he's going to do his very best to write down what he sees. But how do you describe God's throne room? How do you describe heaven? How do you describe, as John's going to try to do through the rest of this book as we're studying through it, future events? Things that would take place hundreds and thousands of years down the road. Things he had no words for. And so John is going to do his best to write to us and tell us what God shows him and what he sees. But in some ways, words are always going to fail. Until we get there ourselves, until we see it ourselves, we don't know the majesty and the splendor and the glory of God in his heavens. And yet, that's what we're going to try to do today, is to explain what John sees. And so here's what I want us to do. Look at Revelation chapter 4, starting verse 1. We're just going to read the first verse together, then we're going to go through, talk about some things, come back around, we'll read the, the full chapter. So here's what he says. After this, after the letters to the churches, after God has, has given him this revelation, and Jesus has written these letters to the churches through John, he says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had heard speaking at first, that's the voice of Jesus, he says, it sounded to me like a trumpet, and it said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so John is invited to come into the throne room of God, coming off of the hills of the letters to the churches. Jesus wants to anchor John, and he wants to anchor us as his audience in the reality of heaven. He goes, I've written to my churches. I've written to these people in their original context. We hear the message in our original context. We know where we are. But before we go any further in the book of Revelation, and before Jesus gives John any future picture of what's going to take place, he goes, I've got to ground you in the reality of my existence in my eternal glory at my throne. And so Jesus opens a door for John to see him in heaven. And he says this to him. I want you to know the power, the presence, and the worship of God that takes place. And so Jesus' invitation is just this. He says, come up here. 
and I will show you what must take place after this. If you take notes in your Bible or you like to underline or do things in your Bible, just underline or circle the word must. Because I'm going to show you, John, what must take place after this. Seeing heaven in the glory of God helps us to understand what has to take place on earth. When we start to understand the glory of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the perfection of God, and that God has called us to be in relationship with him. And his ultimate desire for relationship with him is that we would be with him where he is. But God cannot be in sin. He can't be around sin. He can't exist and dwell with where sin is. And so God says, before you can be with me eternally like I want, there has to be, there must be a dealing with sin on the earth. And so the things that must take place for me to deal with sin are all grounded in the glory, in the majesty, in the splendor of my existence in perfection in heaven. And so John gets invited to come and see those things. And so Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I want you to once again know and enjoy the perfect fellowship you were designed to have with me. I want you to know the greatness of what it means to walk with me without there being any barrier between us. I want you to, to know and experience being with me, dwelling with me, knowing me fully. But before we can have that, there has to be things that take place to deal with sin. So we're shown the throne of God at this point in the book to anchor us in the fact that everything that will take place on the earth in the future and currently are grounded in the reality that God is sovereign, that he's on his throne, that he's in control of everything. And nothing happens outside of his express permission. So we're grounded in that reality this morning. And so John just says this in verse two, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And so John is given permission to enter God's throne room. And I want you to notice what he does here. He says, at once I was in the spirit. He's not physically taken into heaven. His body is physically on the Isle of Patmos where he is a prisoner at the time. But his spirit, he's given this opportunity by God to have his spirit taken to heaven to see this heavenly vision, this heavenly dwelling place of God. And so he says, I was given permission at once in the spirit that was sitting before me a throne. And I want you to see how John describes this scene. And if you take notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. If you're in the app this morning, you want to fill in some blanks on the app, do this. Here's the first thing. Rather than trying to name God or describe human char characteristics related to God, John simply describes the splendor and the brilliance of the one who's on the throne. Did you notice that? He didn't say, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and God was sitting on it. He didn't try to name God. He didn't try to describe him because there was one sitting on the throne. Like we're supposed to know who this one is. When you go to heaven and there's a throne, it's God who's sitting on it. Nobody else gets to sit on that throne. And so John says, at once I saw the throne, there was someone sitting on it. He doesn't try to describe him because we get lost in that. God doesn't have a physical description necessarily. And so John's not trying to describe him. He's just saying, I want you to understand the splendor and the brilliance of this one. He says he was sat there with the appearance of jasper and ruby, and there was a rainbow that encircled the throne like an emerald. And so John basically just says it was beyond description. I don't even know how to describe this to you. 
God had this appearance like jasper and crystal. Jasper is kind of a crystal. It's a clear uh, description. Ruby is kind of a red. He goes, it was just kind of like that. There was just these colorful things that were happening all over. And there was this rainbow around his throne that looked like an emerald. Like it was just glowing green. It's the emerald city, right? And so he's going, "This, this is the best I can do to tell you what this is in this moment. But he's using some words that we find elsewhere in Scripture. He's using some other descriptions of God and the throne of God. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. So John, Paul just says, God lives in immortal light. He is, in, uh, he is immortal. He lives in unapproachable light. You can't get into his presence. It's so dazzling, so spectacular. And then uh, Ezekiel uh, gets to see a special glimpse of God. Most people, and Paul just said, God lives in unapproachable light. You can't see him. No one sees God. But God does allow special times in Scripture that he will pull someone into his presence and give them an opportunity to see him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Listen to what happens with Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 1, 25 through 28, Ezekiel writes, it says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads. The heads uh, their heads are the ones that are the uh, seraphim or cherubim, the, the angels around the throne of God. As they stood with lowered wings, these angels, and he says, Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. That's a clear emerald. It says, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. And so Ezekiel says, I got to be in the throne. And it is unbelievable. Doesn't it sound like what John said? Lights, flashing, glowing, rainbow in the sky, this, this throne that he's sitting on, a lot of the same description. Then listen to, to uh, what takes place in Exodus chapter 24. And I have to tell you guys, I've read Exodus so many times, and I have missed this every time. I saw it this week, and I was just like, how did I miss this? Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. They went up onto the mountain where God was going to give them the commandments again. And so God is preparing the the commandments for his people. He invites Moses, uh, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders to come and and visit him. And he says, and under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. Again, that's that clear crystal. And as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. In other words, they saw God and they got to keep on living. (laughs) They got to eat and they got to drink again. He didn't kill them. He didn't destroy them. He invited them into his presence. But the descriptions are so similar, aren't they? The things that John sees, that Ezekiel sees, that Moses records. And so we see this amazing picture of the throne of God and the glory of God, the majesty of God, the splendor of God. He goes, but not only is God there, there are worshipers around the throne of God because you can't have God and not have worship take place. And so he tells us this in verse four, Revelation chapter four, verse four. He says, I see worshipers around the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 
And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold spirit of God. It's the way to describe the Holy Spirit. It says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And so John just again opens the door more and he goes, I want you to see first the throne and the one who sits on the throne and his majesty, his splendor, his glory. But around the throne, there's all this stuff that's taking place. There are more thrones. There's worship that's happening here. Revelation, more so than any book in the Bible, is giving us a true picture of what worship looks like. And so again, if you're taking notes, just write this down. True worship is God-centered. True worship is God-centered. There are so many things that we devote our allegiance to in this life. So many things that fight for our allegiance. So many things that we elevate to places of God-like status that become idols in our life, that we worship above God sometimes. And yet when John writes this book, he tells us about the beings around God's throne who worship him night and day in true worship. That the worship of God is centered on God himself, not on anything else. To truly worship, you have to have God as the center and focus of your worship. And so John gives us a description of these people. Number one, he says there are 24 thrones around the throne of God, and there's 24 elders who sit on them. They're clothed in white. They've got gold, gold crowns on their heads. And a lot of people go, okay, well then, who are these elders? Who are these people? We've debated this a lot in our culture and throughout world history. Again. Who are the elders? Are they um, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus? Are those the 24 elders? Maybe. Uh, do they represent the Old Testament covenant of, of God and the people who are representing that and the New Testament covenant of God? Is it a representation of, of God's people in old and new? Maybe. Uh, is there a chance that these are angelic beings that God has put around his throne? Possibly. The truth is, we don't know. John doesn't say. He doesn't say. And here's who the elders are, and this is where they represent. He just says there's elders, there's thrones, they've got white robes, they're victorious, and they have gold crowns that God has given them a chance to not only worship around his throne, but rule with him at his throne. My leaning, because of the way that the book is written and future things that will take place with these beings, is that they are angelic beings, that they are created angelic beings. I could be wrong about that, but that's my take on it. You go have your take, okay? Um, but the things that they will do in the future and the things that they seem to have done in eternity past, to me, tends to point to the idea that they are created beings, that they are God's angelic beings, and that their primary purpose is ruling with God and reigning around his throne, worshiping at his throne. Uh, and so what we do know for sure about this is that not only are these beings around his throne— these angelic beings, in my opinion, but also that when God acts and when God moves, John hears something. He goes, around the throne, there was a, a sound that was associated with God. In verse five, he says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And those sounds should be pretty similar uh, or familiar to us. If we think back to how God has expressed himself in creation, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, when God shows up, how does he tend to show up? With lightning and flashes of thunder, or flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, clouds always around, right? 
When God calls his people to Mount Sinai, he's going to give them the commandments. He appears with his people. It's thunder, it's lightning, it's clouds, it's God's presence. When God passes by Moses and hides him in the cleft of the rock and lets his glory pass by him, these things are there. In pictures of heaven, when God shows himself in Daniel, in different places in scripture, it's always this same way. And so John says, around the throne, I heard these flashes of lightning, these peals of thunder. It was God's presence. His rule is taking place there. And so they'll also come into play more as the book of Revelation continues to unfold. Each time God begins to move in judgment against his creation to punish sin as we go forward, here's what you're going to find. At the end of the seal judgments, at the end of the bold judgments, and at the end of the trumpet judgments, John is going to record that every time the judgments of God end, lightning and thunder roar throughout the earth. That as God unfolds his presence to humanity in judgment, he makes known that he is the one in charge and that he is right in his sovereignty, in his glory to come and judge sin. And so that's what we're seeing unfold here. But then there's another order of angelic beings that's around God's throne. And John is just, again, trying to describe these things that he's seeing. And he writes in Revelation 6, 6 through 8, In the center, around the throne of God, were four other living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. That's pretty weird, right? He goes, The first living creature was like a lion. And the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. It says, and each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And so John sees these angelic beings, these, uh, these created beings, and he doesn't even know what to call them. He just says they're creatures. I don't even know a better description for this. Let me just tell you guys what I saw. I saw creatures around God's throne. Like, it was fantastic beasts and where to find them, and God has them. He knows where they are. He created them. They are at his throne. They've got all kinds of weird stuff going on. Uh, they've got, they look like a lion, like a bear, like an ox, like a, a man. Like, there's all these, not a bear, an ox, a lion, a man, an eagle. He goes, they look like all these different things. But he doesn't say they were a lion because he goes, they weren't the lion because a lion doesn't have six wings and eyes all over its body. It was like a lion. It was like a man. He had a face like a man, but men don't have eyes all over their bodies and wings and six wings and like he's just going I I don't know what these are but these creatures are amazing and they are at the throne of God and they are with God in his order of the universe in his judgment of the universe in his rule and they're with God in his worship in fact, their primary purpose that John's going to tell us about is that they lead in worship. These creatures have shown up in Scripture in other places. Daniel has described them. Ezekiel has described them. And they are there to represent all of God's creation. They stand closest to the throne of God of any of his other created order. And they have some role in executing the judgment of God, leading people to worship around the throne of God. In fact, proximity to God has to result in the worship of God. The closer you get to God, the more you must worship him. And these angelic beings 
are so close to God that, that we start to figure out what their role is. Look at how John describes the worship of heaven around God's throne. He says, here's what these beings are doing, these creatures. Day and night, verse 8, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. I just love this. Because as we see the throne of God, when the living creatures worship, it causes the elders to get jealous. <laughs> they go, oh, no, if you're going to worship, we're going to worship. So you're going you're gonna to worship holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All right, great. We're going to prostrate ourselves before God, take off our crowns of rule and lay them at the feet of God, and we're going to respond in our own worship. And then they do that. And then the creatures go, okay, fine. Well, if you're going to worship, we're just going to do that too. We're going to worship again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come forever and ever. Amen. And the, the elders go, okay, well, fine. If you're going to do that. And it just becomes this resounding worship. It's just a repeated chorus. And here's what I find fascinating about that. When John describes what's happening, he says, day and night, the creatures never stop. They just do this all the time. And then I love this, whenever the living creatures give glory to God, the elders respond in worship. This is what's happening before the throne of God constantly, nonstop. The creatures worship God. The elders respond in worship to God. The creatures up the worship of God. The elders respond with greater worship of God. And it is just a rising multitude of worship before the one true God of the universe. Isn't that a beautiful picture of heaven, of God's throne, of what we'll experience in being there with him? This is the glory and the majesty of this. And here's what I want to pull from this, if you're taking notes again, is this, that when you see the creatures worship and you see the elders worship, it's this, that worship inspires worship. That's what it does. Worship inspires worship. Church, this is why our gatherings together are so important. Because in these corporate settings, we come together to worship. And as we worship one another, we point other people to worship as well. That we say, man, as I see our worship leaders on stage, worship that inspires me to worship. And as I look out and I see others around this audience worshiping, it inspires me to worship. And so I want us to be people who are inspired by one another to worship God that we lead one another to do that, that we go, I want to worship God, and because of my worship of God, I want you to worship God, and because of the way you worship God, it excites me to worship God, and we're just going to be a lot like these creatures around the throne of God, that we just go, our worship is elevated when we come together, because that's what worship does. It inspires worship. Not only is that true at church with corporate worship, the question we have to ask ourselves in worship is this, how is my worship helping someone else to worship? And that's not just true here. This is true in your home. Spouses, how are you helping your spouse worship? Parents, how are you helping your kids worship? Are we living out the worship of God in our homes? 
Are we showing one another what it looks like to have a personal love relationship with the God of the universe? So that inspires the worship of our families. And if we're doing that in our families, in our home, how is that spilling over into our community, into our neighborhoods? And as that spills over into our neighborhoods and as our worship encourages other people to worship, how does that start to impact our city and our state and our world? And as the church of God gets this and as corporately as we learn to worship and as we take that from this place publicly into our private settings, then that private time of worship goes public around us. Because worship inspires worship. So one of the questions we just have to ask ourselves is how deeply and intensely are we worshiping God? If this is your only time of worship during the week, you're missing out on the things that God has for you and wants for you throughout the week. I love Louis Giglio's definition of worship because a lot of us, we take this in our culture and we go, well, worship is singing, right? So that's what we do publicly in church. We, we worship when we sing and that's when the people play the instruments and they have a song for us and we sing, we're worshiping. Not so much. That's an element of worship. But worship is also what we do in Bible study. It's what we do in prayer. It's what we do in sharing our faith. It's what we do in journaling. It's what we do in meditating on scripture. Worshiping takes on multiple forms. And the way that we think about that, Louis Giglio's definition helps me so much. He says, worship is just our response to God, both corporately and privately, for who he is and what he's done. That's worship. Worship is a response. So as I read my Bible privately and I see what God is doing, and as he responds or as he uh, unfolds himself to me, I respond. How do I respond to God and his goodness? That's my worship. As I pray and I speak to God and I hear God's spirit speak to me and I hear from him through his word, how, do I, how does my prayer become an act of worship? How do I sing out the glories of God in worship? How do I share my faith with others? It's an act of worship. It's a response to who God is, to him revealing himself. It's a response when we're together corporately and it's a response when we're alone privately. But worship is a response to God for who he is. And what he's done. And so as you learn to worship God, you'll find other gods in your life starting to diminish. And that's the beautiful picture about worship as well, is that when we see God and we get a picture of him at his throne and what worship really is, we kind of go, everything else, that doesn't seem worthy anymore. Now, I mean, it was cool to see a picture of a constellation out in the star and out in the, the night sky and a nebula that was out there. It was even cooler to take a video tour of that thing, but can you imagine being plopped down in the middle of it? I don't think Earth would be so exciting anymore if we're watching stars being born in a nebula, right? And, and so the same thing is true about God. When we get to be in the presence of God at his throne and we start to see what worship really looks like, we go, man, all this other stuff that I'm worshiping, it just fails in comparison. Why am I exalting money and sex and relationships and work and family? Why sports? Why am I putting these things on a pedestal above God as if they have worth that's eternal? God's going, it just fails in comparison when you see me in my splendor and my glory. God is exalted above everything else. And when we think about worship, we should think about worshiping him above and beyond everything. Psalm chapter 89, David wrote this in verse 6 and 7. It says, For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? 
In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. So for us, moving forward in the book of Revelation, we're going to see a world system bent on destroying God's people and garnering worship for itself and its rulers. But Jesus shows us this vision of Revelation, and we want to spend time here this morning because the rest of the book, we can't be anchored in the reality of what God's going to do if we aren't anchored in the reality of who God is and what he is about. And so this picture of the throne of God helps us move forward to understand God's judgments that are coming. And so something that helped me this week to bring comfort into this, I'm reading a commentary by J. Scott Duvall, and he said this, we can overcome on earth when we have a clear vision of the realities of heaven. Without this vision, endurance fades. When worldly powers seem to be in control, people need faith and hope to endure. These qualities grow stronger Excuse me, when the rest of the truth that God reigns from his throne and holds ultimate authority over power and over all hostile human authorities, he's in control. And so when we see this, we know we serve a powerful God who's in absolute control of his creation. And through him, we're victorious. Through him, we're inspired not to shrink back, but to press in, to press on no matter what happens, that as God unfolds the future, that we will stand with him in absolute faithfulness, in absolute obedience, in absolute worship, because he alone is worthy. So I want to give you three things this morning to close out, just to think about and to evaluate this week. And so if you want to write these down or take notes on your app, do that. Here's the first one. I want to ask you to question this. What things in your life do you need to hold up before the throne of God and reevaluate its worth in your life? What is the thing or things that you're holding up in worship, but that if you evaluate them before the throne of God, they start to lose their luster? Things that have enticed you and dragged you to sin that you've held on to because you see beauty in it. But when you compare it to God, You know, it's nothing. I can let that go because of God and the splendor of his holiness. Number two, what about your worship is inspiring others to worship? What about your worship is inspiring others to worship? Are you helping other people to know the glory of God and to worship and follow him? And then number three, how is God changing you through your personal worship so that it spills over into your corporate worship? Do you come here on Sunday morning out of the overflow of all God's poured into you, ready to let it out? Or do you come here hoping to be completely filled up so that you've got enough to get you through this week and you'll never think about anything again until next Sunday when you come? What is it in your private worship, your personal worship, that's changing you so that it spills over into your corporate worship. I hope these things challenge us this morning as Kyle comes back up and as we do one last song together, just to think about the glory and the reality of the God of the universe. He wants us to know him. He's made himself known. 
he gives us these pictures of his throne so that we have an understanding of who he is, where he's leading us, and what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. And so my prayer for us is that we'll go forward from this place with a deeper love and appreciation of God, with a bigger picture of his majesty, his splendor, his glory, so that it causes us to be thrown into personal worship. And as a result, that our corporate worship as a church family will explode. And then it'll pour out into our city that God will change lives because the people of God are set on worshiping God. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.